Chapter Twenty Four, Part One of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell. Chapter Twenty Four, Part One. Volcanic District of Naples continued. Dimensions and structure of the cone of Vesuvius fluidity and motion of lava dikes alluviums called aqueous lavas origin and composition of the matter enveloping herculaneum and pompeii condition and contents of the buried cities small number of skeletons state of preservation of animal and vegetable substances rolls of papyrus stabiae torre del greco Concluding Remarks on the Campanian Volcanoes Structure of the Cone of Vesuvius Between the end of the 18th century and the year 1822, the great crater of Vesuvius had been gradually filled by lava boiling up from below, and by scoriae falling from the explosions of minor mouths which were formed at intervals on its bottom and sides in place of a regular cavity therefore there was a rough and rocky plain covered with blocks of lava and scoriae and cut by numerous fissures from which clouds of vapour were evolved but this state of things was totally changed by the eruption of october eighteen twenty two when violent explosions during the space of more than twenty days broke up and threw out all this accumulated mass so as to leave an immense gulf or chasm of an irregular but somewhat elliptical shape about three miles in circumference when measured along the very sinuous and irregular line of its extreme margin but somewhat less than three-quarters of a mile in its longest diameter which was directed from northeast to southwest the depth of this tremendous abyss has been variously estimated for from the hour of its formation it increased daily by the dilapidation of its sides it measured at first according to the account of some authors two thousand feet in depth from the extreme part of the existing summit but mr scrope when he saw it soon after the eruption estimated its depth at less than half that amount more than eight hundred feet of the cone was carried away by the explosions so that the mountain was reduced in height from about forty two hundred to thirty four hundred feet as we ascend the sloping sides the volcano appears a mass of loose materials a mere heap of rubbish thrown together without the slightest order but on arriving at the brim of the crater and obtaining a view of the interior we are agreeably surprised to discover that the conformation of the whole displays in every part the most perfect symmetry and arrangement the materials are disposed in regular strata slightly undulating appearing when viewed in front to be disposed in horizontal planes but as we make the circuit of the edge of the crater and observe the cliffs by which it is encircled projecting or receding in salient or retiring angles we behold transverse sections of the currents of lava and beds of sand and scoriae and recognize their true dip we then discover that they incline outwards from the axis of the cone 
at angles varying from 30 degrees to 40 degrees. The whole cone, in fact, is composed of a number of concentric coatings of alternating lavas, sand, and scoriae. Every shower of ashes which has fallen from above, and every stream of lava descending from the lips of the crater, have conformed to the outward surface of the hill, so that one conical envelope may be said to have been successively folded round another, until the aggregation of the whole mountain was completed. The marked separation into distinct beds results from the different colors and degrees of coarseness in the sands, scoriae, and lava, and the alternation of these with each other. The greatest difficulty on the first view is to conceive how so much regularity can be produced, notwithstanding the unequal distribution of sand and scoriae, driven by prevailing winds, in particular eruptions, and the small breadth of each sheet of lava as it first flows out from the crater. But on a closer examination, we find that the appearance of extreme uniformity is delusive. For when a number of beds thin out gradually, and at different points, the eye does not, without difficulty, recognize the termination of any one stratum, but usually supposes it continuous with some other, which, at a short distance, may lie precisely in the same plane. The slight undulations, moreover, produced by inequalities on the sides of the hill on which the successive layers were molded, assist the deception. As countless beds of sand and scoriae constitute the greater part of the whole mass, these may sometimes mantle continuously round the whole cone, and even lava streams may be of considerable breadth when first they overflow, and, since in some eruptions, a considerable part of the upper portion of the cone breaks down at once, may form a sheet, extending as far as the space which the eye usually takes in, in a single section. The high inclination of some of the beds, and the firm union of the particles even where there is evidently no cement, is another striking feature in the volcanic tufts and breccias, which seems at first not very easy of explanation. But the last great eruption afforded ample illustration of the manner in which these strata are formed. Fragments of lava, scoriae, pumice, and sand, when they fall at slight distances from the summit, are only half cooled down from a state of fusion, and are afterwards acted upon by the heat from within, and by fumaroles or small crevices in the cone, through which hot vapors are disengaged. Thus heated, the ejected fragments cohere together strongly, and the whole mass acquires such consistency in a few days that fragments cannot be detached without a smart blow of the hammer. At the same time, sand and scoriae, ejected to a greater distance, remain incoherent. Sir William Hamilton, in his description of the eruption of 1779, says that jets of liquid lava, mixed with stones and scoriae, were thrown up to the height of at least 10,000 feet, having the appearance of a column of fire. Some of these were directed by the winds towards Ottajano, and some of them, falling almost perpendicularly, still red-hot and liquid, on Vesuvius, covered its whole cone, part of the mountain of Soma, and the valley between them. 
the falling matter being nearly as vividly inflamed as that which was continually issuing fresh from the crater formed with it one complete body of fire which could not be less than two miles and a half in breadth and of the extraordinary height above mentioned casting a heat to the distance of at least six miles round it dr clark also in his account of the eruption of seventeen ninety three says that millions of red-hot stones were shot into the air full half the height of the cone itself and then bending fell all round in a fine arch on another occasion he says that as they fell they covered nearly half the cone with fire the same author has also described the different appearance of the lava at its source and at some distance from it when it had descended into the plains below at the point where it issued in seventeen ninety three from an arched chasm in the side of the mountain the vivid torrent rushed with the velocity of a flood it was in perfect fusion unattended with any scoriae on its surface or any gross materials not in a state of complete solution it flowed with the translucency of honey quote, in regular channels cut finer than art can imitate and glowing with all the splendor of the sun end quote. Quote, sir william hamilton he continues had conceived that no stones thrown upon a current of lava would make any impression i was soon convinced of the contrary light bodies indeed of five ten and fifteen pounds weight made little or no impression even at the source but bodies of sixty seventy and eighty pounds were seen to form a kind of bed on the surface of the lava and float away with it a stone of three hundred weight that had been thrown out by the crater lay near the source of the current of lava i raised it upon one end and then let it fall in upon the liquid lava when it gradually sunk beneath the surface and disappeared if i wished to describe the manner in which it acted upon the lava i should say that it was like a loaf of bread thrown into a bowl of very thick honey which gradually involves itself in the heavy liquid and then slowly sinks to the bottom the lava at a small distance from its source acquires a darker tint upon its surface is less easily acted upon and as the stream widens the surface having lost its state of perfect solution grows harder and harder and cracks into innumerable fragments of very porous matter to which they give the name of scoriae and the appearance of which has led many to suppose that it proceeded thus from the mountain there is however no truth in this all lava at its first exit from its native volcano flows out in a liquid state and all equally in fusion the appearance of the scoriae is to be attributed only to the action of the external air and not to any difference in the materials which compose it since any lava whatever separated from its channel and exposed to the action of the external air immediately cracks becomes porous and alters its form as we proceeded downwards this became more and more evident and the same lava which at its original source flowed in perfect solution undivided and free from encumbrances of any kind a little farther down had its surface loaded with scoriae in such a manner that upon its arrival at the bottom of the mountain the whole current 
resembled nothing so much as a heap of unconnected cinders from an iron foundry. End quote. In another place, he says that, quote, the rivers of lava in the plain resembled a vast heap of cinders, or the scoriae of an iron foundry, rolling slowly along and falling with a rattling noise over one another. End quote. Von Buch, who was in company with Messieurs de Humboldt and Gay Lussac, describes the lava of 1805, the most fluid on record, as shooting suddenly before their eyes from top to bottom of the cone in one single instant. Professor J. D. Forbes remarks that the length of the slope of the cone proper being about 1,300 feet, this motion must correspond to a velocity of many hundred feet in a few seconds, without interpreting von Buch's expression literally. The same lava, when it reached the level road at Torre del Greco, moved at the rate of only 18 inches per minute, or three-tenths of an inch per second. Quote, Although common lava, observes Professor Forbes, is nearly as liquid as melted iron, when it issues from the orifice of the crater, its fluidity rapidly diminishes, and as it becomes more and more burdened by the consolidated slag through which it has to force its way, its velocity of motion diminishes in an almost inconceivable degree, and at length, when it ceases to present the slightest external trace of fluidity, its movement can only be ascertained by careful and repeated observations, just as in the case of a glacier. End quote. It appears that the intensity of the light and heat of the lava varies considerably at different periods of the same eruption, as in that of Vesuvius in 1819 and 1820, when Sir H. Davy remarked different degrees of vividness in the white heat at the point where the lava originated. When the expressions flame and smoke are used in describing volcanic appearances, they must generally be understood in a figurative sense. We are informed, indeed, by Monsieur Abiche, that he distinctly saw in the eruption of Vesuvius in 1834 the flame of burning hydrogen. But what is usually mistaken for flame consists of vapor or scoriae and impalpable dust illuminated by that vivid light which is emitted from the crater below where the lava is said to glow with the splendor of the sun. The clouds of apparent smoke are formed either of aqueous and other vapor, or of finely comminuted scoriae. Dykes in the recent cone, how formed? The inclined strata before mentioned, which dip outwards in all directions from the axis of the cone of Vesuvius, are intersected by veins or dykes of compact lava, for the most part in a vertical position. In 1828, these were seen to be about seven in number, some of them not less than four or five hundred feet in height, and thinning out before they reached the uppermost part of the cone. Being harder than the beds through which they pass, they have decomposed less rapidly and therefore stand out in relief. When I visited Vesuvius in November 1828, I was prevented from descending into the crater by the constant ejections then thrown out, so that I got sight of three only of the dykes, but Signor Monticelli had previously had drawings made of the whole which he showed me. 
the dikes which i saw were on that side of the cone which is encircled by somma the eruption before mentioned of eighteen twenty eight began in march and in the november following the ejected matter had filled up nearly one-third of the deep abyss formed at the close of the eruption of eighteen twenty two in november i found a single black cone at the bottom of the crater continually throwing out scoriae while on the exterior of the cone i observed the lava of eighteen twenty two which had flowed out six years before not yet cool and still evolving much heat and vapor from crevices hoffman in eighteen thirty two saw on the north side of vesuvius near the peak called palo a great many parallel bands of lava some from six to eight feet thick alternating with scoriae and conglomerate these beds he says were cut through by many dikes some of them five feet broad they resemble those of somma the stone being composed of grains of leucite and augite there can be no doubt that the dikes above mentioned have been produced by the filling up of open fissures with liquid lava but of the date of their formation we know nothing farther than that they are all subsequent to the year seventy nine and relatively speaking that they are more modern than all the lavas and scoriae which they intersect a considerable number of the upper strata are not traversed by them that the earthquakes which almost invariably precede eruptions occasion rents in the mass is well known and in eighteen twenty two three months before the lava flowed out open fissures evolving hot vapors were numerous it is clear that such rents must be ejected with melted matter when the column of lava rises so that the origin of the dikes is easily explained as also the great solidity and crystalline nature of the rock composing them which has been formed by lava cooling slowly under great pressure it has been suggested that the frequent rending of the volcanic cones during eruptions may be connected with the gradual and successive upheaval of the whole mass in such a manner as to increase the inclination of the beds composing the cone and in accordance with the hypothesis before proposed for the origin of monte nuovo von buch supposes that the present cone of vesuvius was formed in the year seventy nine not by eruption but by upheaval it was not produced by the repeated superposition of scoriae and lava cast out or flowing from a central source but by the uplifting of the strata previously horizontal the entire cone rose at once such as we now see it from the interior and middle of somma and has since received no accession of height but on the contrary has ever since been diminishing in elevation although i consider this hypothesis of von buch to be quite untenable i may mention some facts which may at first sight seem to favor it these are recorded by monsieur abiche in his account of the vesuvian eruptions of eighteen thirty three and eighteen thirty four a work illustrated by excellent engravings of the volcanic phenomena which he witnessed it appears that in the year eighteen thirty four the great crater of vesuvius had been filled up nearly to the top with lava which had consolidated and formed a level and unbroken plain except that a small cone thrown up by the ejection of scoriae 
rose in the middle of it like an island in a lake at length this plain of lava was broken by a fissure which passed from northeast to southwest and along this line a great number of minute cones emitting vapor were formed the first act of formation of these minor cones is said to have consisted of a partial upheaval of beds of lava previously horizontal and which had been rendered flexible by the heat and tension of elastic fluids which rising from below escaped from the center of each new monticule there would be considerable analogy between this mode of origin and that ascribed by von buch to vesuvius and soma if the dimensions of the upraised masses were not on so different a scale and if it was safe to reason from the inflation of ladders of half-fused lava from fifteen to twenty-five feet in height to mountains attaining an altitude of several thousand feet and having their component strata strengthened by intersecting dikes of solid lava at the same time m abiche mentions that when in august eighteen thirty four a great subsidence took place in the platform of lava within the great crater so that the structure of the central cone was laid open it was seen to have been evidently formed not by upheaval but by the fall of cinders and scoriae which had been thrown out during successive eruptions previous to the year seventy nine vesuvius appears from the description of its figure given by strabo to have been a truncated cone having a level and even outline as seen from a distance that it had a crater on its summit we may infer from a passage in plutarch on which dr daubeny has judiciously commented in his treatise on volcanoes the walls of the crater were evidently entire except on one side where there was a single narrow breach when spartacus in the year seventy two encamped his gladiators in this hollow clodius the praetor besieged him there keeping the single outlet carefully guarded and then let down his soldiers by scaling ladders over the steep precipices which surrounded the crater at the bottom of which the insurgents were encamped on the side towards the sea the walls of this original cavity which must have been three miles in diameter have been destroyed and bracelock was the first to announce the opinion that this destruction happened during the tremendous eruption which occurred in seventy nine when the new cone now called vesuvius was thrown up which stands encircled on three sides by the ruins of the ancient cone called monte somma in the annexed diagram it will be seen that on the side of vesuvius opposite to that where a portion of the ancient cone of somma still remains is a projection called the pedamentina which some have supposed to be part of the circumference of the ancient crater broken down towards the sea and over the edge of which the lavas of the modern vesuvius have poured the axis of the present cone of vesuvius being according to visconti precisely equidistant from the escarpment of somma and the pedamentina in the same diagram i have represented the slanting beds of the cone of vesuvius as becoming horizontal in the atrio del cavallo where the base of the new cone meets the precipitous escarpment of somma for when the lava flows down to this point as happened in eighteen twenty two 
its descending course is arrested and it then runs in another direction along this small valley circling round the base of the cone sand and scoriae also blown by the winds collect at the base of the cone and are then swept away by torrents so that there is always here a flattish plain as represented in the same manner the small interior cone must be composed of sloping beds terminating in a horizontal plane for while this monticule was gradually gaining height by successive ejections of lava and scoriae in eighteen twenty eight it was always surrounded by a flat pool of semi-fluid lava into which scoriae and sand were thrown in the steep semicircular escarpment of soma which faces the modern vesuvius we see a great number of sheets of lava inclined at an angle of about twenty six degrees they alternate with scoriae and are intersected by numerous dikes which like the sheets of lava are composed chiefly of augite with crystals of leucite but the rock in the dikes is more compact having cooled and consolidated under greater pressure some of the dikes cut through and shift others so that they have evidently been formed during successive eruptions while the higher region of soma is made up of these igneous products there appear on its flanks for some depth from the surface as seen in a ravine called the fossa grande beds of white pumices tuff resembling the tuff which at pausilippo and other places near naples contain shells of living mediterranean species it is supposed by pilla von buch and others that the tufaceous beds which rise in soma to more than half the height of that mountain are in like manner of submarine origin because a few seashells have been found in them here and there together with serpulae of recent species attached to included blocks of limestone it is contended therefore that as these strata were once accumulated beneath the sea they may have been subjected as they rose to such an upward movement as may have given rise to a conical hill and this hypothesis it is said acquires confirmation from the fact that the sheets of lava near the summit of soma are so compact and crystalline and of such breadth individually as would not have been the case had they run down a steep slope they must therefore have consolidated on a nearly level surface and have been subsequently uplifted into their present inclined position unfortunately there are no sections of sufficient depth and continuity on the flanks of soma to reveal to us clearly the relations of the lava scoriae and associated dikes forming the highest part of the mountain with the marine tufts observed on its declivity both may perhaps have been produced contemporaneously when soma raised its head like stromboli above the sea its sides and base being then submerged such a state of things may be indicated by a fact noticed by von buch namely that the pumices beds of naples when they approach soma contain fragments of the peculiar leucitic lava proper to that mountain which are not found in the same tuff at a greater distance portions therefore of this lava were either thrown out by explosions or 
torn off by the waves during the deposition of the pumices strata beneath the sea we have as yet but a scanty acquaintance with the laws which regulate the flow of lava beneath water or the arrangement of scoriae and volcanic dust on the sides of a submarine cone there can however be little doubt that showers of ejected matter may settle on a steep slope and may include shells and the remains of aquatic animals which flourish in the intervals between eruptions lava under the pressure of water would be less porous but as dr dobeni suggests it may retain its fluidity longer than in the open air for the rapidity with which heated bodies are cooled by being plunged into water arises chiefly from the conversion of the lower portions of water into steam which steam absorbing much heat immediately ascends and is reconverted into water but under the pressure of a deep ocean the heat of the lava would be carried off more slowly and only by the circulation of ascending and descending currents of water those portions nearest the source of heat becoming specifically light and consequently displacing the water above this kind of circulation would take place with much less rapidity than in the atmosphere inasmuch as the expansion of water by equal increments of heat is less considerable than that of air we learn from the valuable observations made by mr dana on the active volcanoes of the sandwich islands that large sheets of compact basaltic lava have been poured out of craters at the top or near the summits of flattened domes higher than etna as in the case of mount loa for example where a copious stream two miles broad and twenty-five miles long proceeded from an opening thirteen thousand feet above the level of the sea the usual slope of these sheets of lava is between five degrees and ten degrees but mr dana convinced himself that owing to the suddenness with which they cool in the air some lavas may occasionally form on slopes equaling twenty-five degrees and still preserve a considerable compactness of texture it is even proved he says from what he saw in the great lateral crater of kilauea on the flanks of mount loa that a mass of such melted rock may consolidate at an inclination of thirty degrees and be continuous for three hundred or four hundred feet such masses are narrow he admits quote, but if the source had been more generous they would have had a greater breadth and by a succession of ejections overspreading each cooled layer a considerable thickness might have been attained end quote. the same author has also shown as before mentioned that in the cinder cones of the sandwich islands the strata have an original inclination of between thirty five degrees and forty degrees mr scrope writing in eighteen twenty seven attributed the formation of a volcanic cone chiefly to matter ejected from a central orifice but partly to the injection of lava into dikes and quote, to that force of gaseous expansion the intensity of which in the central parts of the cone is attested by local earthquakes which so often accompany eruptions it is the opinion of messieurs von buch de beaumont and de Frenoy, that the sheets of lava on soma are so uniform and compact that their original inclination did not exceed four or five degrees 
and that four-fifths therefore of their present slope is due to their having been subsequently tilted and upraised notwithstanding the light thrown by m de beaumont on the laws regulating the flow and consolidation of lava i do not conceive that these laws are as yet sufficiently determined to warrant us in assigning so much of the inclined position of the beds of soma to the subsequent rending and dislocation of the cone even if this were admitted it is far more in harmony with the usual mode of development of volcanic forces to suppose the movement which modified the shape of the cone to have been intermittent and gradual and not to have consisted of a single effort or one sudden and violent convulsion End of chapter twenty four part one recording by linda johnson